0: Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for i have learned to be content with whatever i have i know what it is to have little and i know what it is to have plenty in any and all circumstances i have learned the secret of being well fed and going hungry of having plenty and being in need i can do all things through Him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. These words should be familiar to us for two reasons. One, it is an often quoted verse in the church. And two, it is from these verses that we heard a truly Christ-like sermon on April 7th from Pastor Tim McClellan. It was a great sermon. A truly great sermon. A sermon worthy of being listened to again and again and again. And I encourage you, if you already listened to it, or you haven't, go back and listen to it on the website. The Holy Spirit will truly and certainly do something in you. And so with that, I'm humbled to tie up some loose ends for us And finish the series in the letter to the Philippians. Because as great of a sermon as that was, it wasn't the end. It wasn't the end. And it is a difficult sermon to preach, given the circumstances that surround it. But it feels wrong to leave such a Christ-like legacy unfinished. Doesn't it? Amen. And while I could stand here and tell you story after story that demonstrates how great of a man Pastor Tim was, and lesson after lesson that he taught me, that he taught the staff, that he taught us, I know that's not what he would want. That's what he demonstrated to us in his last sermon, lifting up his Lord, lifting up our Lord and making himself shrink back. I wanted the tension to be on Christ and not Him. And so it is less accurate to say that I preach this sermon in memory of Tim McClellan and more accurate to say that I preach this sermon to uplift the Christ-likeness that He demonstrated to us through His faithful, informed, and Christ-centered preaching that He demonstrated through this pulpit Sunday in and Sunday out. today, I preach this sermon for Christ, because that's what Tim McClellan taught us to do. Amen. And so with that, let's turn to the final verses of the letter of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. Again, that's chapter 4 of the letter of Philippians, verses 14 through 20. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So just to give a little bit of context to remind us what's going on here in this letter, if you remember... Paul is in prison when he's writing this. A Roman halfway house awaiting trial. And he has evidently a certain amount of freedom to the extent that he's allowed to receive a visitor. He's allowed to receive a gift. He's allowed to send a letter. Of course, we could be wrong, but Paul doesn't give us any inkling that he's having to fight the Roman officials to do so. And so we think thus. And then we get to this passage coming from Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 13 where Paul explains I've received your gift but you know what I I have learned the secret to being content in whatever situation so basically I would have been fine had you not given it because the secret to contentment is knowing that our most valuable possession is Christ Jesus amen and then these verses, verses 15 through 16, Paul begins to show how generous of a church the Philippians are. They're, they're a generous bunch. He says, You were the only ones who supplied for me. And you supplied for me when I was in Thessalonica more than once. Have you ever sent out a group text? Some of us hate group texts. I think they're a necessary evil Um, or a mass email to your friends, and maybe something like, hey, on August 29th, I need help moving or help painting my house. And so you're waiting for a reply, waiting for a reply. And who responds? One of your friends, just one. You sent it to like 20 people. So you're a little bitter because all your other friends didn't say anything, but how thankful are you for that one? Friend that actually cared enough. And so take those feelings and transfer them to how Paul feels about the Philippian church. You were there for me. You were the only one there for me. The Philippians understood the value of supporting the mission of God. And church here, we understand that value. That's that's revealed in our behavior to our support to missions, our missions conference, we understand what the Philippian church understood. Which is that God's ordained means of providence to supply for His mission is the people of God. It's pretty simple, really. I mean, who else is going to pay for the mission of God but the people of God? Paul lives in a situation that's very similar to ours in the sense that the government is not going to pay ministers of the gospel. Now, there are places in the world where the church and the government are together, and there are ministers who receive their salaries in that way. But that's not the way here. That's not the way in Paul's situation. Who else is going to pay for the mission of God but the people of God? And this is nothing new. We see this in the Old Testament of how the priests are supplied is from the giving of the people of Israel. And then we get to the New Testament and Jesus tells his disciples when he's sending them out, when someone receives you into their house, take whatever they give you. The laborer deserves his wages. Luke chapter 10 verse 7. And even Paul understood that in the sense of when he told Timothy in his second letter to him, don't muzzle the ox where it's treading its grain. In other words, don't keep the worker from eating where he's working. The people of God are supposed to supply for the mission of God. But there's something I think we need to notice here in verse 18, because Paul says, I'm paid in full and I have more than enough. Do you know what it means when he says he's paid in full? The equivalent to this phrase in the Greek is, uh, you know, that little piece of paper when you go to the gas station and the attendant asks you, hey, do you want this? And you say no, and then they throw it away. And if you're environmentally minded, you're freaking out, thinking how many trees have been killed from these little pieces of paper that have been printed off carelessly. It's a receipt. That's what this is. That's what this phrase means. He's sending the Philippians the fact that I have your gift. I received it in full from Epaphroditus. But the unique thing is he says, I have more than enough. I have more than enough. And I think there's a reality we need to swallow. And I want to be careful because I don't want you to misunderstand me. Okay? Because Lakeview Church is not going anywhere anytime soon. Lakeview Church is still carrying out the mission of God. We're not tanking. We're not going under. But the reality is is that it's been a while. Since we've had more money than we know what to do with. Since we've had more than enough. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not as though we're struggling to make things run, but it's not as though the cup's running over and and our business manager's saying, I don't know what to do with all this. We don't know what to do with all this. That's the Reality. Paul demonstrates to us through the example of the Philippians how the nature of how great a blessing is to have more than enough. And so I want to challenge you. It's the Lord asking you to help support his mission in a way that you aren't already here. And so, yes, this is another one of those sermons, the sermons you've all heard, that talks about giving, another sermon about your checkbooks. But here's the reality with that, though. You've all heard that. I don't need to sit up here and preach that to you. You know what the Word says, I'm assuming. But it's a lesson we need to always keep before us. But I think that there's a more valuable lesson in this text that we have become blind to because of our culture. We've all heard the sermon on giving, but there's a sermon I'm not so sure we've heard. There's another thing that Paul is teaching us in this text. And so I want to lead you there with a question Is Paul a manipulator? Is he a snake? Is he a sleuth? So I want to to show you this. Is he trying to empty the Philippians' pockets as much as he can? I want to read to you some verses in a different tone of voice to illustrate maybe what I'm trying to show here. Oh, I don't need your gift. I'm not seeking it. Uh, Your gift, though, is a worthy sacrifice to God. And so... With that, I guess I'll take it. Is that what Paul is saying? Also, I just wanted to do that to show you how reading the text affects how you interpret it. But anyway, that's a side note. Is that the Paul we know? No, it's not. That's not the Paul we know. It's not Paul's character. Paul was a tent maker. Paul took pride in not being a burden to the people that he served. He didn't like that. I I would say that Paul had an aversion to taking gifts. Think about that for a minute. I think this is illustrated most clearly in his letter to the Thessalonians, his second letter in chapter 3 when he says this. And he's talking about what he did when he was among them in Thessalonica. So just listen. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. This was not because we don't have the right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, We gave you this command, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. And so here's Paul, this guy who doesn't want to be a burden, this guy who is an over and above worker, self-sufficient, apostle of God, tent maker, holy Paul, takes the gift. Why? I think the answer is in verses 17 and 18 when he says this, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. Then he says that their gifts are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See, what's unique about this is that word "profit." maybe in the translation you have, it says fruit. That's the more literal translation of the Greek word. They're getting some sort of spiritual benefit. It's not as if he's investing in stocks. The Philippian church isn't making, trying to make money off of Paul. That's not what he's saying. They get a blessing from giving to Paul. Now, it's at least one thing, this blessing, but it might be two. First, we know that it is an offering pleasing to God. It's an opportunity to worship God, an opportunity to make God smile. But two, it could also be an opportunity for the Philippians to practice likeness, An opportunity to invest in Paul and his mission and become a part of it to sacrifice for their brother. I think it's important to notice and emphasize that Paul points out he didn't need it. While this could be helpful, he says, I could have gotten along without it. And yet, he takes it. Paul, the guy who has an aversion to gifts, takes it. In order for giving to happen there has to be a receiver. In order for receiving to happen, there has to be a giver. Notice the words in verse 15. Giving and receiving. You can't have one without the other. And I wonder if Paul, when he was in this tension, that I'm imagining, if he started to think about his Lord... And you know the Gospels were written after Paul's letters, but I think we're naive if we think Paul never asked the apostles, tell me what my Lord was like. Tell me stories about Him. And I wonder if the story came to his mind when Peter was looking at Jesus taking off his outer garment and coming to wash his feet, and Peter said no. And then received it. Peter taught us to receive Jesus taught us how to give. Or even when Mary Magdalene bought an expensive nard and anointed Jesus at Bethany. Jesus, the most powerful man ever, who could have snapped up an oil that was even better in an instant for free, accepts this gift from this woman. Jesus taught us how to receive. Mary taught us how to give regardless of what Paul was thinking. We know that he received that which what he thought he could go without. In receiving, Paul was giving the Philippians an opportunity to practice Christ-likeness and to give an offering to God. When you give to the servant, you're given to the master. When you receive, you allow someone to give to the master through you. Well, preacher, what if I say, no, thank you. And doesn't God know their heart? Yeah, he does. But isn't an act of love completed better than an act of love intended? So essential oils are all the rage right now. There's no denying that, okay? Okay. I'm the bad guy in my house because my asthma gets set off by certain smells, and I know there's an oil or something that's supposed to help asthma. It doesn't help me. I don't know why. Sorry. The magic potion didn't work on me. So for a second, I want you to imagine that an essential oil salesman comes to your door. You answer, Hello, sir. Hello, ma'am. I would like to give you this whole starter kit of essential oils. It's got lavender. It's got thieves. It's got, uh, shout out another one. Uh, yeah. Frankincense. I don't know. Okay. It's got everything. It's got all the bells and whistles you need to start your essential oils potion factory. Okay. I want to give this to you for free. And so you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I really need it. I mean, I got more oils in my house anyway. He said, no, no, thanks. No, thanks. No, okay, well, wait a second here. What What if I told you, okay, listen closely. What if I told you that if you take what I'm giving you, I get one and my boss gives me a good review. And you're like, I don't know, that sounds pretty good. But no, no, thanks no thanks. He would have been receiving while you were receiving. He got something out of giving to you. That's what it's like when people ask if they can do anything for us in a time of need, in our lives, and we say we're fine. That's what it's like when someone wants to buy you dinner, but you find a way to sneak money back to them later. When someone offers to mow your lawn, when someone wants to come and fix something in your house, it's what it's like when someone offers to do something for us, but we tell them, no, thank you. Are you seeing it? We're literally keeping a person from having an opportunity to worship God. An opportunity to practice Christ-likeness. And if that's not convicting, I don't know what is. But please don't mishear me. I'm not saying there aren't times and places to say no thank you. But I think more often than not, we say no before we say yes. And why is that? I think it's because of how our culture has trained us to believe this lie of self-sufficiency. This country was built upon people who pulled up their bootstraps And got things done. And that's a great character trait to have, but it's also made us villainize the people who we view as needy, lazy, worthless. And so when we think, there's something in our pride when someone comes up to us and says, hey, I wanna do this for you, we think we're like those people we villainized, and that we're needy, and that we're worthless. That we can't take care of ourselves. That's a lie. It doesn't make us that way. We're meant to rely on one another. It's like we're all singing our own version of Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. I Will Survive. And I hope Lenny's not mad at me because that's not from the 80s. I know he's been having that track lately, it's from the 70s. Um, <clears throat> but we think we can just support ourselves. And just live our own lives by ourselves. I think Alexander McCall Smith, a British writer, uh, shows the tension best between learning how to give and learning how to receive when he says this. Gracious acceptance is an art. An art which most never bother to cultivate. We think that we have to learn how to give, but we forget about accepting things which can be much harder than giving. Do you realize that at the core of Christianity is receiving? Receiving grace. Receiving forgiveness. Realizing that we don't deserve anything that God gives to us, but we need it. And if we can humble ourselves to accept that, Why can't we humble ourselves to accept something from a brother or sister? We've all heard the lesson on how to give, but I think we've heard fewer lessons on how to receive. Christianity is about giving and receiving, not one and the other. It doesn't matter if you have few resources or you have many resources. It's not about just giving, and it's not about just receiving. We all know those people who are very generous, and we all know those people who maybe receive too well. We're not denying that. But every Christian is called to the ministry of giving and receiving, receiving and giving. And so I want to, as I draw to a close here, I want to ask you, which are you? Are you the person who struggles with receiving, or are you the person who struggles with giving? And we all can work on one or the other, but what is your weak point? I have a spiritual assignment for you. If you're a person who needs to learn how to give more, I want you to go home and think about how you can use your time, your treasure, or your talent to bless someone this week. And then do it. Slip someone a 20 when they're not looking. Help, something, help someone with something they're bad at, but you're good at. Wash their car. Something. But if you're a person who struggles with receiving, I want you to think back to a time. When someone offered you something because of their love of Christ and you said, no, thank you. And it actually would have been helpful for you. But out of your pride, you said, no, I can do it myself. Pray to the Lord for forgiveness and then ask him to give you the grace to receive like Christ next time. And so regardless of whether you're a person who needs to learn how to give more or a person who needs to learn how to receive more, I think we all need to confess to God to those times where we've been too clenched to give or too prideful to receive. And so together I just want to participate in a prayer. And I'm just going to have you all ask you all to stand with me. And if you feel comfortable, I'm going to say a prayer out loud, and like in parts. And then if you feel comfortable, repeat after me as we just corporately together confess this to God. And there will be a moment of silence just for the Spirit to speak to us in this time. But let us pray. Lord, we confess that at times we have not been fully Christ-like in our giving and receiving. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to make us more open to giving like Christ and receiving like Christ. And we ask in this moment that you would reveal to us how your grace will make us better in the future. We pray this in your precious son's name. Amen. Now, here are the final words of Paul from the letter to the Philippians as a benediction and charge to us all. Verses 21 through 23 from Paul to you. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those in the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Leave this place knowing the grace of Jesus Christ assists you in giving and receiving like him you're sent out.